welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we reflect on our year visiting all 59 U.S. national parks. Whether you are planning to visit your very first park or you bleed gray and green, we're here to share our insights on exploring, understanding, and loving America's best idea. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're covering everything you need to know about ranger programs at the national parks. awake this morning? Yeah, we uh, <laughs> normally are. That was a big yawn. We normally aren't doing our recording in the morning, but... Uh, it's kind of nice. Yeah, lately it's only only the weekend mornings that seem to be free, so had to yeah, take advantage of it. We woke up this morning and it was snowing here. We got, we have some warm coffee. We're just going to snuggle up to our microphone and <laughs> knock one of these things out. That's right, and we only have a few more podcasts to go in our All 59 National Park series. Yeah. So that's really exciting. Just to just to review, I know we've, we did this last time too, but it's been a couple weeks already, even though we said we were going to be much more consistent. Um, we'll see how that goes. But the only podcasts we have remaining are this one, which we're talking about two parks, and um, next episode we'll be talking about parks with friends featuring shenandoah and rocky mountain yes and then our very last podcast that will cover the parks will be about family friendly parks featuring great sand dunes and carlsbad caverns and that'll that'll wrap it up and that's crazy and then you know we have a few ideas of where to go from there we will um probably do maybe a few episodes on um non-national park sites within the NPS because we've been to not just the 59 national parks just to toot our own horn for a second I looked it up yesterday and it was 143 national park sites nice or NPS sites so that's uh, getting a pretty good resume put together Mm -hmm. between all the national parks the monuments the memorials the lakeshores seashores you know Just as a PSA, if you even if you don't have like the physical passport book for the national parks, you can still get the passport app, and that gives you a little description of every park, and then you can keep track of the parks you've been to. You can add your pictures to it if you want to keep track it's of like all your pictures there. Yeah. yeah, it's a really cool little app, and it has a map showing you all the pins around the whole country uh, that you've visited. So we're think, big fans. I think one thing that we one big takeaway that you'll really notice in this park is, or in this ep- podcast episode, is that there are so many things that you just don't know that the parks offer. Yeah. And, and, this, and it's not like the parks have created this app, but it's something out there that is easy to access and easy to keep track of where you've been. And uh, then beyond the national park sites, we might talk about stuff like parks in the news because it seems like they're increasingly in the news lately. And we are compiling a specific episode for parks in the news. Mm -hmm. So if you have any comments on park issues in the news, we'd love for you to send us a voicemail and uh, either tell us what you would love for us to talk about or make a comment yourself, and we can include that in the podcast through the audio you leave. Yeah, so just go to switchbackkids.com slash podcast or send like a voice memo. You can just take a voice memo on your phone and send it to our email at switchbackkids at gmail.com. So any way that you would like to leave us a, a, a voice message would be awesome or just a regular message is, is great too. Um, but we want some input on some of these things it, to, as we're compiling this this uh, bonus episode. Yeah, the diversity of thought here is important because the U.S. is a big, giant, diverse country and these are all our parks. So we want to make sure that we're covering, you know, since they're a public good, we need to cover all the angles and perspectives of the public. At least we'd love to. Um, so it, let us know what you think. We always love to hear from people, love to he- cover what they want to hear. And uh, in addition to all that, we'll probably put in a, through a few interviews too. So just because we're stopping our, or we're coming to the conclusion of our All 59 series here, we are not stopping in any sense. So I'm excited <laughs> for what's next. Not. Me too. 
So what's next here is yeah, we have... speaking of Parks in the News. Yeah, Parks in the News with the topic of smart parks. Yeah, so I saw this article because we follow... And this would be a cool thing if you were interested in National Parks News. We just have Google alerts for na- different, like the NPS and, and then just the phrase National Parks. So we get our little dose of news every day and you can Um, set that really easily if you go to google i mean even just google google alerts and you can uh inception add whatever keywords you want to uh get reports on um even if it's just like not national parks but i don't know if you're a famous person and you want to figure out when your name comes up in the news you could do that yeah for all of the famous people (laughs) following our podcast (laughs) Um, but anyway, so this is an example of how I I like to use the Google Alerts to get national park news from international national parks. So this is actually from the UK. Um, and an article came out, and we'll link it in our show notes, but it's, it's, um, it's basically about increasing technology to make parks more efficient and eco-friendly. Um, and this was specifically in, in um, Britain. But it definitely applies to the U.S. national parks as well. And it's definitely an issue that the U.S. national parks have been talking about. And it's it's very topical. Um, yeah, so we thought we would break down just a few of our thoughts about increasing technology in the parks and the pros and cons of that. Because it looked like specifically what was Britain doing? It was using sensors to um, basically uh, provide more science um, information and mm-hmm. data. Yeah, and beyond science, the uh, the sensors could also tell trekkers when a storm is incoming, where the nearest rest point is. Basically, just giving people more information uh, to inform their visitor experience. Mm-hmm. Um, if there are parking spots available um, at a certain visitor center, things like that. And the article says ultimately people can still enjoy a complete disconnect if they want, but uh, if you want your phone there to direct you to the nearest pub or tell you where <laughs> to park, you can always have that. So it's an interesting development and something we know from experience, from talking with rangers in ranger programs and stuff like that, uh, that they are constantly thinking about. Yeah, and increasing cell coverage is a a huge topic, especially I know we heard about it when we visited Yellowstone, which is, you know, in the middle of nowhere, does not have great cell coverage, um, things like that. So it's, it's always a topic that's been coming up, and we just thought we'd talk about some of the angles of that. So on, because on one, like basically there are two thoughts because on one hand, technology is helping us. It's, it's helping us become more connected. It's, um, it's important for, um, especially international travelers. Like when we go abroad, there is Wi-Fi everywhere. (laughs) And that's the only way we can connect because... Yeah, it's super easy to connect. Yeah, we don't have data in another country. So, you know, I imagine being a foreign traveler in our national parks and... It would be very hard. Yeah, you'd be disconnected. And uh, for most, I'm sure they deal with that. That's fine. And most are probably on gigantic tour buses anyway. but But getting... No, but getting around, finding trails, planning things at the last minute, that's something that... um, the internet helps with a lot. Yeah. So technology is a good thing, and it's done a lot of, it's, you know, science and technology have done so much for the visitor experience and just the overall quality of the, the national parks. Not just the social media, which is what people think of, taking their bison selfies, but um, <laughs> like the family that put a bison in their truck trunk and was taking all those pictures last year i know i know but i'm saying beyond the uh social connectedness it Mm -hmm. is valuable to have um connectedness to make people more safe to even educate people Mm -hmm. because they can access resources like um when we were in indiana dunes you could call this uh, line that they had signs for all mm-hmm. around audio the, tours yeah and, and they would give you information about this um this 
specific spot that you were at because mm-hmm. you'd enter in the code of where you were. Uh, and if you don't have cell coverage, you can't do innovative right. stuff like that. Right. Uh, On the other hand, it does make it harder to get away from it all, like to, to get back to kind of the true essence of, of what the parks are, the um, connecting not through technology but connecting to nature and um, not being distracted by technology. It's harder to do that. Um, I think it makes it, with an increase in technology, it definitely leaves it more up to the individual visitor of how they're going to shape their experience. You know, when we visited most national parks, we didn't have a choice in um, in how connected we were to the rest of the world because we didn't have any coverage. We didn't have any service for the, for the majority of the time. So we didn't have that choice. But as, as the technology increases and as um, things like cell coverage get more widespread in the parks, it's going to be more up to the visitors to decide how they're going to shape their experience. Yeah, and let's be honest, visitors like us, I'll be the first to admit, we're not always great about shaping our own experience because it's so tempting to yeah, want to yeah. like check the you know Cardinals game score or whatever stupid thing it is that you are interested in and is just sitting in you know the back of your mind. And we all know like when. When I think about something like that, I'm like, oh, got to check immediately and see mm-hmm. what's going on. And, and sharing your experiences um, with with social media becoming more instant with Snapchat and Insta- Instagram stories, um, it's, it's a lot easier to share your experience when you have, when you're more connected. And sharing experiences is also a good thing. You know, there's an argument there too, like, do you need to share it instantly in the moment? Or is that taking away from you enjoying the moment? It's an interesting conversation, I think. And I think we just need to keep talking about it. And uh, my perspective as of now is I think um, the NPS can do a lot of good by expanding Wi-Fi and and coverage within concentrated villages, you know, the uh, visitor centers, the camping villages and stuff, like really close to... Uh, the populated epicenters of the park. But if you want to go to some other corner or backpack into the real wilderness, I think you should be able to get away mm-hmm. from the um, from coverage, from Wi-Fi and stuff like that. And not, yeah, and not be... Um, I don't think the NPS should invest in... Uh, getting connectivity all the way out there because that is a big benefit getting away from it i think Uh, there will always be places to do that i think i think that's the that's the key is that even though our parks seem very accessible and and close and easy to get around there are always areas of wilderness within the, the parks that beyond the visitor centers beyond the easy hiking trails um where you can still fulfill that um you know connection to nature and when I'm in the middle of Yosemite Valley or um, Bryce Canyon uh, on the Rim Road overlooks, it's not like I really feel like I'm getting away from it anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With all the people around and how popular it is, the cars, um, the infrastructure even that you see around you, it's not as um, peaceful a feeling And to me, having the connectivity there is not as much of a detriment to the people who are seeking that experience, because hopefully if you're seeking the get away from it experience, you're going other places. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I think it's worth, it's, you know, the article just sparked, sparked an interest in um, having a conversation about it on here because we've talked about it a lot and how we would handle having more free-flowing cell service in the parks and what we would what how our experience would have been so different if we were camping at night and we could watch stream netflix or something um it would just be be different so it's interesting to think about i think yeah and if you have any comments leave us voicemail or comment on the latest podcast post on our blog uh, when we put up the show notes um, so that's that's that. That's yeah. Parks in the News. And speaking of ways to connect to the parks in a deeper way beyond cell service, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get to our topic of today, which is one of our favorite things to talk about in regards to the parks. 
um, and that would be ranger programs. That's right. So we think it's one of the most underrated things about visiting a national park. Um, it's basically a, a almost a, a absolutely free experiences that you can have in the national parks, whether it's ranger programs, museums, park movies, um, evening campgrounds. There's so much educational experiences, and one of the pinnacles of the education experience is when you can go to a ranger program. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's something we always try to do. We've talked about that a lot, how it is an important part of our whole year-long trip. And we went to, it'd be interesting to count up the number we went to because it was at least an average of two every park, at least. I would say yes, comma, a lot of the parks didn't have the ranger programs going when we visited, so it was kind of off-season. But yeah. even during the off-season, we experienced plenty of ranger programs and other educational experiences. Um, I think it's just one of those things that people, it's tr- it's really underrated. And that's like what like what you said, Cole. It's, it's the, the biggest thing about it is that so many people just blow right past the visitor centers to the, you know, you know to the Instagram where the... Um, views views and don't don't get the context context for what they're seeing exactly and it might just be and maybe there is a little bit of a perception that it's for kids and uh you know it's something right because maybe people link it up to the junior ranger program and you know we as adults we don't need to uh learn from anybody or listen to anybody we're not in school anymore but or that uh, it's like for older adults who just like to meander around and learn stuff and um and follow a guide it's and if from our experience it's nothing like that it was we rarely experienced a ranger program maybe once or twice in a whole year where we're like eh, we probably could have done without that it always enhanced our experience always yeah, and so let's see what were some of our favorite ranger programs. So we actually talked about this, and and you can go back um, to episode number twenty three. We broke down our top ten ranger programs, and we split it up into we talked about our top five uh, free ranger programs and our top five paid ranger programs. Um, so you can go back and re and listen to that whole episode. But just some of the highlights um, that we experienced. Let's just kind of lightning round this, maybe. Yeah, because we have the full descriptions in that episode number 23. So So. like Keys Ranch, which we're going to be talking about today, that was in Joshua Tree. Um, Snowshoe hiking at Crater Lake. Wild cave tour at Mammoth Cave. Kayak tour at Big Cypress. And sluice logging at Big Cypress. Big Cypress. And that's not even a a quote, unquote, national park. Yeah. Um, National preserve in Florida. Amazing. We did a hike and bike tour in Mesa Verde that we adored. Grand Canyon color talk, which was just really unique. In an auditorium, you know, so that's not even wasn't in, even in front where of the you canyon. can see the canyon. <laughs> um, maybe one of the all-time favorites, astronomy festival at Great Basin. Yeah, talking about these just makes me want to go to another like go do it uh, go hang out with rangers again i just miss them or go listen to our own podcast there you go no, yeah i would i would <laughs> throw up <laughs> hearing my own voice on recording um that's why i never listen that's why you, you're not the one who produces the podcast uh yeah thank you elizabeth um but anyway so with those just some of those we that we just threw out um there are lots of types of different types of ranger programs that we experienced and that we saw, you know, other people experience when we were in the parks. So just as an overview of the range, er, (laughs) (laughs) no, the range of ranger programs that we saw. So we're going to list off some of the different types. So you know what you're getting into and that you know that there is literally something for everybody. Yeah, because you think of a ranger program... I, before our trip, would think of a campfire talk type Mm -hmm. thing in the evening or, you know, just some type of maybe, if I'm really being creative, a ranger guided walk. Mm -hmm. Um, But those are the the first two, the ranger talks and ranger guided walks. But then there's really difficult ranger led hikes, ranger led bikes, um, paid ranger guided 
tours into restricted areas that you can't get into otherwise yeah, like caves things like that yeah um and then of course the evening camp uh campground programs that were usually every campground has kind of like a little um amphitheater amphitheater set up there are community programs that the park connects with people in the community to do different um different events there are private tours that are run through private companies but with rangers on them to answer your questions and to give you some narration um, there are annual festivals like what we talked about, the Astronomy Festival at Great Basin. There are also a plethora of self-guided programs like um, self-guided scenic drives with brochures or the Junior Ranger program or hiking challenges. All kinds of things like this that are developed by rangers that you can utilize at the park for free. And you should be doing this at the park because it's free and it's there. And it's been developed for your experience to enhance your time at the park. Absolutely. So let's get into Joshua yes, Tree. we need to get into Joshua Tree. So this was... I wish we could actually get it back into Joshua Tree. <laughs> right. I want to just... be there. We just watched our video on Joshua Tree. So go... Also, if you're ever just wanting to see what we saw in the parks, we made a video for each each national park. So it's they're all on YouTube. You can just Google Joshua Tree Switchback Kids or or YouTube search it, and you can find all of our videos. We just watched our Joshua Tree video, and it made me want to go back so bad. Yeah, it was our first park in California, the first of nine, and a really Ranger program stuck out there because we did so many, and we did a variety of them, from long guided hikes to evening presentations short walks, and even a paid tour of Keys Ranch. So um, it really gave us a background on the whole area, the different aspects of the area from the flora and fauna to the natural or the human history. Um, and it, it definitely gave us a lot of context for our visit um, and it helped us remember some of the names of the desert plants we'd see, yeah. uh, uh, you know, throughout the rest of our trip in the West. So we really appreciated the hard work it took to um, establish all of these programs from the park perspective. Yeah, yeah. and also just the, the context. I know that the context of um, establishing establishing Joshua Tree National Park, which was originally called desert plants Na wasn't it wasn't it supposed to be oh, called yep, desert yep. plants national park do you remember what her name was minerva hoyt yes and she fought really really hard to create joshua tree so just knowing what it took to develop this this like fun park that you're in that's not just for your enjoyment but that's it's for the preservation of the land and the plants and the human history having that as you're going through the park just gives you such a different appreciation and um just it's it's great it's, it's just i don't know <laughs> i'm just letting you i'm struggle lost for there. words i know yeah. thank you <laughs> um yeah, it's just different though than going sure. into a park where you don't really know you just you know it's beautiful but you don't know much about it it's just it's very different so specifically the park programs we went to we are probably my favorite was the keys ranch tour mm -hmm. so that's a big popular tour you can do it costs what i think it's 12, 10, 10, 10 or bucks, 15 bucks maybe um yeah. per person and it fills up really quickly so we were there in early march we were there in yeah i think it was february okay late february almost exactly Two years ago. That's right. It's crazy. And uh, so we had a trouble getting a spot, actually. And I think somebody canceled and we were able to slide in mm -hmm. with the two of us. Definitely plan ahead on that one. Yeah. So, but Keys Ranch is this um, homestead in the middle of the desert that Joshua Tree is, surrounded by all these giant boulders and desert plants. And this guy just plopped down and started building a whole, you know, home 
and homestead there where for years, like 30, 40 years, where he, he was... survived in the middle of the desert. Yeah, no community, no neighbors, really. He... Had um, a garden. Had all types of things. All he built of a, stuff. He built his home, of course, but he also built a... Um, reservoir uh, where he like basically kept all the got all the water captured he had a water tower he had a chicken coop made out of a car that because he would salvage all of his materials to make this uh, home from people who had abandoned their own homes in Mm -hmm. the middle of the desert because they couldn't hack it yeah if you're into like antiques or um, like living like self-sustained living and like creative ways to use junk it's really really (laughs) and and it's just a really interesting story and i think the reason we wanted to talk about it here is because most ranger programs are not like this this was really unique that we had to pay for this restricted area um just because it's so there's so much stuff there they don't let just anyone walk through and because there's like literally a, a an area where there's thousands of like forks yeah. And stuff like that. And it's from my understanding was that they hadn't really organized it in a museum fashion. This mm-hmm. was how he laid everything out. Like mm-hmm. he had hundreds and hundreds of different car parts that he had just collected and basically created his own auto shop. Um, and because it's the desert, he could just leave these things out scattered all around his you know, they little property. They wouldn't get rusty. Yeah, I said forks, but I'm not sure if that's really true. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> that's remember just what those I, th- forks I think of it like. About. I think of it like Ariel and the Little Mermaid, <laughs> like yeah, all of was, her stuff, and yeah. I think that's why I thought fork. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but anyway, it was. It's really interesting and definitely worth checking out if you're there. It's pretty cheap. Another one that sticks out vividly in my mind is the short hike that we did, where we learned all about the specifics of the Joshua Tree. Yes, and that was a Dr. Seuss-themed hike, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's right. Because they read part of the Lorax. And it's funny because the... um, And it wasn't for kids. Like, it was all adults there. Um, I forgot that was the whole extra theme that wrapped around it. So they always do cool things like that. The Rangers are so creative and and so good at what they do. Um, and, And that... If you go to Joshua Tree, you need to learn a little bit about these these interesting trees which are not actually trees but they're part of the yucca family Um, but you'll see them throughout southern california so it's really really important that you learn like what they are how how they are how they grow yeah why they're important to preserve they grow in a really specific range of elevation Mm -hmm. so you can't find them in the extreme southern portions of the park you have to go farther north and then you start seeing them everywhere and they're all different shapes, uh, like the kind of like the Dr. Seuss uh, trees. And mm-hmm. they get that way because whenever they blossom and have that kind of yucca looking blossom on the end of their branch, at that point they make a new like angle of branch. So they end up with all these zigzag branches. Uh, and also, another really cool thing is that they uh, procreate by cloning themselves so basically if they drop a branch or something or maybe it's the the roots grow from the existing tree i'm not exactly sure um they then just sprout up into this new tree and it's an exact genetic replica of the old tree so uh really fascinating Mm -hmm. plants and just enhances your experience yeah when you know a little bit more about them um other highlights of just the park our whole park time at the park i can't talk um the hiking contest yes oh we also did a self-guided so this is kind of like one of those self-guided programs that are developed by the rangers but that visitors can just pick up and and go on their own and we did a hiking challenge and what was the challenge to hike 50 miles 50 no no it was like 30 yeah, they had different levels yeah. essentially. So and if we you got, got to if you got five, you got a 30, sticker, and if you got, or maybe it was, I don't know. We got, I think we got to thirty. Well, we definitely got to at least thirty over 
our four or five days there. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool. And at the end, we were like literally running <laughs> one of the trails. We got a little too into it, I think, um, to try to get in before the visitor center closed. Yeah, because so we, we get had our to get back sticker. to get the sticker. Um, but <laughs> the, the specific colored sticker to show that we hiked 30 miles. Even if you don't get that into it, it's kind of fun. It's a super fun way if you have a family, if you have kids. Like we we are kids and we got really into it. So I think that <laughs> I think that littler kids would definitely love it. Um, just a little bit of motivation for getting in some of those trail miles. And at Joshua Tree, there's tons of trails. Most of them are pretty short, um, but there are some longer trails. So some of our favorite trails we loved um panorama point is that Mm -hmm. what it's called and it was in the the quieter side of the park which is near like the black rock campground um and it just gave awesome awesome views of the whole area it's in the very northwestern part of the park um so different landscape for sure than the southern part that we experienced um, we also loved r- climbing to Ryan Mountain, which is in the middle of the park, um, and that also gave incredible views, and it wasn't too tough. It was definitely hard, but it wasn't, like, overly long or anything. Um, can you remember some of the other... We we did a lot of just, like, climbing on the rocks, because that yeah. was also really fun. We hiked to some palm oasises. oases. Yep. Um, One in Indian Cove, Indian Cove area of the park. That was another... Kind of you have to leave the park and come back in. So through the north side, you kind of have to drive through town a little bit. So plan ahead because Joshua Tree is very big and you can access it from a lot of different points. So yeah, like kind of do some planning before you go. We started down south because we mm-hmm. were coming from... Uh, Saguaro. Yes. And... It, Tucson. Right before, I think it's 49... No, 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 it's not. It's... Um, Oh, shoot. I should have looked up that entrance. <laughs> but the cool thing there is there's a few hikes there. You can hike to an old abandoned mine, and you can start um, going around climbing the rocks there, too. But um, there's... Uh, Cottonwood. Oh, that's what it's called. Cottonwood Visitor there's Center. There's a campground yep. down there, and um, it's. I think what you're thinking of was Lost Palms Oasis. Maybe yes, that's one, one of the places we hiked. And right outside that, on the, outside the southern border, is a place where you can do dispersed camping on um, BLM land, essentially. So that was great free camping where there are a bunch of people just out in the same spot. So very yeah, just accepted. outside of the um, just outside of the entrance on the south, and then also in the north, there's a, another good BLM area where we had one of the awesome, the best sunsets. We always tended to have amazing sunsets in our BLM areas for some reason yeah Um, but so basically we went from south to north experiencing the uh the different parts of the park we also highlight for me was getting to camp in jumbo rocks campground which was named like one of the top 10 campgrounds in the whole um nps a couple years ago like or maybe like one or two years before we were visiting so maybe three or four years ago now um but i think it still stands it's a first come first serve campground so you can show up, show up early, like at eight or nine in the morning and catch someone as they're leaving, Is especially if, if you're during, if you're visiting during the busy season or if you're on a, if you're there on a weekend, you have to go extremely early. But that's how we got a spot. We got, got to our, um, got to the campground at like 9am or 10am and we just kind of drove around and waited and somebody was leaving and we just kind of snagged their spot. And what makes it so cool is that you, you're basically surrounded by all the rocks, so it's almost more private campsites because you have your own patch of mm-hmm. boulders that you're and every surrounded camp, by. every campsite is like that. Every campsite is like nestled in the boulders. So you feel alone. You don't feel like you're right next to your neighbor. That was the only, that was actually the only time we ever got an official like warning from a ranger, remember? <laughs> you were freaking out. Yeah. Well, I wasn't freaking out. I was just like, I don't want to get a fine. But we tried to set up our tent like up on the rocks, um, up on the rocks, on a platform, natural platform, right above in the rocks. Yeah, right above the um, the campsite. But you have to keep it in the little square. Yeah. So we didn't know <laughs> that we got a we got a you. nice uh, little note on our attached to our tent and, when we got back, and and we moved it. 
And we just Elizabeth made me move it like immediately when we noticed, and yeah, I remember that because I was trying to enjoy the sunset. Sunset. But one cool thing we did get to do was take our chairs up, our little um, you know LL Bean lowrider chairs, and put them on the very top of the boulders mm-hmm. and just watch the sunset. Yeah, when from in doubt, above everything. When in doubt, in Joshua Tree, if the sky, if the sun is setting, just climb, like just climb a rock, and you can probably get a great view. So that was that was yeah. a, an awesome an awesome way to finish that day. Another really unique thing about Joshua Tree is that it is renowned for its world-class bouldering and rock climbing too, but mostly bouldering because you've heard us mention numerous times how there's all these giant boulders everywhere, um, and it makes really good uh, what's called problems for rock climbers to solve. So that was... um, Something I was really interested in doing, and I tried a, a little bit, but is kind of above my uh, experience level. But just kind of something fun, especially if you're into that, or even just going and watching these climbers um, just scale these mm-hmm. massive boulders and cliff faces is really cool. Um, one thing that goes more to scrambling is that there's this place called. Um, called Chasm of Doom, mm-hmm. and it's really... Kind of a tradition, right? Y- yeah, especially I heard about it in kind of the rock climber online circle where it, <laughs> my friend actually told me that when they went on a trip to rock climb there, the tradition is on a new moon, you go into this chasm that is created in this gigantic pile of boulders and there is this known route that takes you from one side of the gigantic pile that's probably a couple football fields long and wide uh, through one side to the other and you can also climb up so the goal is to get on top during a new moon without using your headlamp no thanks yeah, that's what I say to that. <laughs> that's their tradition. There's so I, many I had gaps a little different. That you could fall into. Yeah, it, it would be pretty dangerous. But uh, my friend did it. His uh, uh, girlfriend at the time, now wife, did it. Uh, so uh, kudos to them. I just made my way during the daytime, but it's still pretty dark because it's all enclosed. Um, but just a really neat little thing if. Uh, you know, just kind of like a hidden secret that mm-hmm. the park probably doesn't want people to really know about, um, but the word kind of spreads. Uh, word of mouth makes it spread. Yeah. So lots that- of fun things at Joshua Tree. It's definitely a fun park. It's like a playground, a, yeah. g- a giant playground. Um, you have to know what you're doing, of course, plan ahead and and kind of be aware of um, the crowdedness that it gets. It's it's not too far from LA so it's and it's definitely boomed in popularity recently yeah especially on weekends so it's grown a lot in in popularity go in this go in the winter because it was very pleasant yep. we were there in probably early february or mid february maybe by the way this chasm of doom is in hidden valley it's at the in the back of one of these picnic spots totally unmarked took me forever to find but worth it if you want an adventure yeah i sat and read a book (laughs) that's what i did i didn't need another adventure i got some great views from the top you should check it out on our video and but my favorite all-time view was key's view um, where we saw the sunset. That's true. That was one a, of the best sunsets of the with the Joshua trees silhouetted. Yeah, that was just very amazing. Yeah. Anyway, we've spent uh, too much reminiscing on too much time reminiscing on Joshua trees. So let's get on to park Before number two. Before we just totally don't give any credit to Wind Cave. <laughs> yeah, Wind Cave was is in South Dakota. It was, most people think of the Badlands, but this was actually the seventh national park ever created. Ever in created in 1903. 19- yes. It's the first park that was um, created to protect a cave. And so it was. it's a very interesting place. It's not huge. It's not like blo- mind-blowing by any means. Um, but it's just, it's it's got an interesting history and it also is one of those parks that I think was 
greatly enhanced by the ranger programs that we took advantage of. Yeah, and the main ranger programs are the cave tours. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're definitely affordable. So, you know, it's in some sense a bummer that you have to pay to visit the national parks because we're spoiled with our national parks being so... Um, free in most cases, but the tours are affordable for, uh, it's $10 for the cheapest one. There are five different types of cave tours in the summer, and it goes all the way up to $30 for the wild cave tour, where you get to do all the crawling and visit some areas of the cave you would, well, you could never I mean, you can never get to any of the cave on your own, but um, areas of the cave that are kind of secret you wouldn't get to otherwise. Yeah, Wind Cave is an example of a park where you really can't go and not do a ranger program. So sometimes the ranger programs are like supplementary. I think here it's like just completely a part of your experience because you can't access the cave without a ranger. So we took the natural entrance tour i believe that takes you past the original like hole that you that they first discovered the park or the the cave through which it's like this little hole in the in the rocks the only natural entrance the only natural entrance and you don't actually go through it but you get to see like the wind blow through it when the um i guess when the the pressure under the underground is very different from above the ground is that what it's yeah it's it's like the cave is breathing yeah, and they said, you know, all caves do this, but it's particularly easy to notice at Wind Cave because it's just this one very small entrance. Uh, and they said sometimes the wind rushing out of that hole goes up to 30 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they hold up like a little ribbon. You get to see the, the wind. Um, but as you're walking to the towards the cave, you get all the history of how it was discovered, how how um, it started to be explored, how only 5 to 10% of the, the cave has been explored, they, they estimate. Um, that's and the interesting thing about caves for me and, and seeing them through the, through the eyes of like the National Park Service is that you, it, it, they're so mysterious because you, you really, we don't know very much about them. There, there's a lot of parts in all caves that we've never, ever been to before. Yeah. And the big claim to fame of Wind Cave is that it has this formation called boxwork. And it's a unique formation that basically, if you look up on the ceiling or sometimes the walls, uh, it looks like a post office box where uh, there's all mm-hmm. these different boxes of holes. Yeah, it's just very um, like geometric and yeah. interesting. Yep. And I think it has an extreme percentage of boxwork in the world. This isn't a very common formation, and Wind Cave has um, most Tons of, of it. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not a it's not a cave like what we experienced in um, in like Lehman Caves, which was in Great Basin or um, or Carlsbad, where there's tons of really you know unique formations. But this was one that was interesting in Wind Cave that that the other parks didn't really, the other caves that we were in didn't really have as much. Yeah, and approximately 95% of the world's discovered box work is in formations of Wind Cave. That was actually the the number that came to mind, but I had to double check you it on it Google. You looked it up. Okay, yeah. good job. And uh, only 143 miles of the cave are explored. So that's, they think, just, what, 10%? Mm-hmm. They said, yeah, I think most I would estimate that most visitors come to Wind Cave because they're already in Rapid City. So like they're already seeing Mount Rushmore. They're already going to see Badlands or Custer State Park. And they just kind of stop by and take a tour. Um, we would recommend staying a day. Definitely. For sure. We loved our day. We I think we spent two days in Wind Cave. There, you don't need a lot of time there. It's not big. You can do everything in about a day. If you take a tour and then take the park scenic drive, so drive. And we have, again, we're going to plug our video because we have, um, in our video, you can see how we drove through the park drive, the park scenic drive into um, like the Rankin Ridge area is mm-hmm. what it's called. And you can make it a loop by, connect, by driving through Custer State Park. We 
So Custer State Park, you it does have a fee if you stop and like hike a trail. But if we just drove through it, we didn't need to pay. Well, we didn't feel like we needed to pay a fee. No, you didn't have to pay. Yeah, unless you park and like are actually doing something in the park. So road, we, it's a highway, right? Yeah. So we dro- just drove, made it a big loop, um, and it, we saw tons of wildlife. We saw pronghorn. We saw um, lots of bison, lots of baby bison. We also saw a lot of prairie dogs, things like that. So it was it was just a different – it was like the above ground part of Wind Cave, yeah. which also matters a lot. And it's a really uh, charming short grass prairie environment. Um, but not just straight prairie. You know, of course, it's got undulating hills and everything, but the conifers um, – are something that we didn't always see previously that are really mixed into the landscape and give it some really cool texture. So that was just the drive itself was mm-hmm. really pretty. There were some a few short hikes that we did as well. Up I believe there to the that, top that we of had Rankin a Ridge. I believe we had like a driving tour too, like a brochure. Because I remember yes. I remember getting to different parts and you know it said okay now get up and hike to Rankin Ridge and then it would have different. Um, different parts like where you were corresponded to information in the brochure um and so that was just a way that that we got to learn a little bit more as we were taking the scenic drive and then that night we capped it off with a we stayed in wind cave campground which was not busy at all Called elk mountain yeah and they uh, had a great ranger program there for the evening program it was the sounds of the night, right? Yeah, so they played different sounds and explained, like, this is a bird, or this is this kind of animal, or this is just, uh, like, this is a cricket, or, like, it, it, that makes it sound really lame. Right, but... <laughs> it was actually really cool. Uh, it's really interesting. Like a skunk. Like, what yeah. is the sound the skunk makes? Yeah. I don't remember now, but it was really cool. <laughs> yeah, right. No. Um so they had all of these or you know a um links or something like Mm -hmm. that you know all of these really cool animals who if you heard them even if you were lucky enough to hear them you wouldn't know what it was Mm -hmm. unless you were informed and that i think this is an example of how this is a touristy area so rapid so rapid city south dakota very touristy lots of people coming through this is an example of how a simple ranger program that was free at the campground gave us a lot of context for the rest of our time in that area. So we could camp anywhere else and, and identify the sounds at night. And we could walk around and know what the different um, the different plants were called. And, um, and, you know, wherever we were in Rapid City, we could, or around Rapid City, we could just have a more a more deeper understanding of of what was around us. Yeah. And then we really glossed over a little bit the wind cave, wild cave tour. Uh, but that was super cool. I, I went on it. You know, you did it. Yeah, I did. You did? Yeah. Apparently, you don't remember that. Um, I don't. I didn't know you went on the, the wind cave one. Yeah. You opted out, remember? I remember opting out of Carlsbad wild cave tour yeah well i'm pretty sure i went on this one too now i'm second guessing myself i don't think you did i think we went on two different tours i think we went on two also but we did like the we did the natural entrance and we did like the garden of eden okay i don't know well we'll have to settle this (laughs) offline apparently but uh yeah we we have gone on other wild cave tours and they're similar in the parks like, we've talked about the Mammoth Cave Wild Cave Tour, which was one of the craziest things we did. Yeah, you went on the Carlsbad Caverns Wild Cave Tour. And it's, anytime you see the words Wild Cave Tour, you can expect more strenuous, more climbing, more crawling, more um, just a very different off-trail experience. Did we do the Candlelight Tour? Maybe that's what we did. That's what I think it was. Uh, it was because that was I can't still really a, remember this. That was still a strenuous one. But also, so. if you if you see in the spring, they only offer the natural entrance and the Garden of Eden. I don't think we did the. Can- I think maybe we wanted to do the candlelight tour. 
Okay. This is bad that we don't remember this, but <laughs> clearly range programs are so memorable, guys. <laughs> uh, but that gives you a little glimpse into the options that the options. you might have in the summer. And hey, maybe you just don't go on them, and then two years later when you're making a podcast, you think you did, so it's like yeah. the same. But we totally went <laughs> during... Um, it, we went we during there. the summer. Yeah, we did. We yeah, were there. Yeah, the so you're, you're right. thinking we went too early. Um, anyway, we'll take this debate <laughs> offline. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. So, regardless, I'm sure all of the tours are interesting and offer lots of great information. Yeah, and the value of a ranger program obviously varies. You know, we mentioned some were just okay, but that was a very extreme minority and they're so, you know, they're almost always free. It's just an a great bonus mm-hmm. to your national park visit. Yeah, and I think what we've done here is we've we've reviewed two parks. So in in the two parks we've talked about, Joshua Tree, you do not you know, necessarily, most people probably don't take advantage of the ranger programs. In Wind Cave, almost everybody takes advantage of the ranger programs. So you have two very different experiences here. You have Joshua Tree, where if you do opt into the programs, you get this whole other world that's opened up beyond the beauty that you're seeing. In Wind Cave, you have this kind of, if you if you go in it into it with no context, no understanding of the area, might seem a little underwhelming. But once you once you have that context and information and appreciation for what's under underneath your feet, um, it's just a totally different experience. So I think what we've tried to do is talk about two very different aspects of the range of um, experiencing the range of programs in the parks. Yeah. So thanks, everybody, for checking us out today. We'll be back next week with more National Parks inspiration. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes or SoundCloud, or find us on social media at Switchback Kids. And you can always get additional National Parks videos, posts, guides, and more on our blog at switchbackkids.com. Switchbacks out!